Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, FCS game week. Happy get off the losing streak week, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, happy, happy back to 500 week. All, all you naysayers, now you get to now you get to exist in a world where where anything can happen yet again. We're, happy we're right back at. at Pick, you can pick whatever week you want. Uh, happy, let's try to find some nuance when discussing our football team week, maybe? That would be every week. Yeah, just 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 every week, really. Just just any sort of nuance. You know, the, the fact that, you know, not everything is, is necessarily as it seems. The fact that we had several injured starters on defense, so it would kind of make sense that the defense looked like crap for at least half the game um, on Saturday yet still managed three fourth down stops in the fourth quarter, just the same. Happy one month of college football results are inherently very noisy, so we still don't know anything about this team week. Agreed, agreed. Um, On that note, um, for those who weren't paying attention for the last several days, uh, Syracuse beat Western Michigan 52-33. to They, in part, looked a lot like they did last year for probably the first half of the season. Um, SU jumped out to a... uh, it was a 21 nothing lead. Western Michigan closed the gap 24 to 13 by half. Uh, Western Michigan scored 20 points in the third versus our 14, and then never got any closer because we scored 14 in the fourth to put this one away. The last one being a little bit of a garbage time touchdown. Uh, nonetheless, Tommy Vita looked great. He surprisingly run, can run the ball now. I was stunned the first time. Um, I was floored the second time, and third time I was kind of expecting it by that point, but was still really encouraged to see, and I, obviously I don't want to see Tommy DeVito run that often. I de- definitely don't want him to see him running like Eric Dungy, as we saw in one instance. Um, nonetheless, I am much less scared when he runs, and he probably is faster than Dungy, and he looked good, and it's a great wrinkle to add to the offense, even if he just takes off three times a game um, in like smart situations. Uh, it keeps defense honest, and it's something that really helped us out last year, and it seems like something that could now help us out this year. Yeah, it's definitely uh, different than the Dungy running. And, like, Dungy's running, especially last year when, you know, we were going for Brooke, trying to get those 10 wins, and it was Dungy's last season, um, was basically a, a built-in part of the offense. <laughs> yeah, he was, like, looking to embrace it. It was part of the deal with him. I think with DeVito, he's definitely straight line faster. Um, he is not going to, like, get into space and, like, punish defenders as much, uh, as far as we know to this point. Um, I do like... Uh, him taking advantage of those lanes, though, because especially if we're going to see the wild blitzing we saw from Clemson, I don't think Western Michigan brought it quite as much for one reason or another, um, partially because they don't have like the lockdown outside defenders that Clemson does. Um, but if we're going to see those blitzes, it's going to leave holes. And rather than drop way far back and roll out and get yourself in trouble, if DeVito identifies those lanes and takes advantage and makes it harder for teams to bring that kind of pressure because you know he might rip off a 50-yard run, um, even if he's only doing it two or three times a game, I think that really adds another dimension and adds uh, a little bit of cover to the offensive line struggles and to his own struggles in identifying uh, blitzes and and pressure at, at, in ideal situations. So um, I was very encouraged by that. I don't think it's ever going to be a thing where he's running 14 times a game like Dungy would, but it doesn't need to be that. It just needs to be enough to give defensive coordinators something to think about when they're trying to send five and six man rushes against our kind of leaky still offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't necessarily enthused by the offensive line for at least part of the time. I know Ryan Alexander was out for a little bit. Hopefully Sam Heckel's back soon. It seems like, you know, we probably see anyone who's like, oh, this is a little banged up, probably sits the Holy Cross game. 
and we let them get healthy that week and the bye week before the NC State game on that big Thursday nighter um, on ESPN. I think, yeah, like, like you mentioned with DeVito, I just think there's – you saw some positive steps. Like if you wanted to and it really wasn't that hard to, you saw positive steps forward for him, for the offense. Uh, there was just – more semblance of order. You saw the pace was definitely, I mean, I think they ended up running what 82 plays and that was with really taking their foot off the gas for the second half of the fourth quarter. Like this, this was a team that, that needed a confidence boost and very much got it. Like I said, and you said too, like, I don't want to see DeVito running a ton, but like he's already reeled off. Like he had what a 36 yarder and a, and a 60 yarder. And both of those would be in the top 10, like longest dungeon runs, which is, crazy to think about but yeah DeVito picked his spots he largely when he was when he was picking up this bigger gains was untouched and, and and found ways to you know get out of bounds or get or get into the end zone in one case um when necessary I just think you know it's you saw a lot of maturation from him and again opponent adjusted but he was stepping up in the pocket both of those balls to Tristan Jackson for touchdowns were really nice he had a couple of pretty excellent throws um, in this game that saw him step up into the pocket. He had a couple read through on the run. Um, he was highly accurate. I know people keep, you know, bemoaning whatever in terms of preparing him and Dungy, but like Dungy probably had maybe two games where he was over like 72% um, completion rate, I would guess without looking at the numbers. And DeVito already has two of those um, this season. So I, I feel like, no, not every game is going to have a really porous and, and banged up secondary um, the way that Western Michigan's is, but you know, the ACC looks like trash right now. Um, we might be included in that. I guess we'll see. But I, I think Tommy DeVito still has plenty of season ahead of him, and, and you're already seeing him kind of round into a better and smarter passer. Yeah, I really don't think we should underplay um, too much how much better he looked in this game because obviously, like, Western Michigan's not Clemson. Uh, they're probably not Maryland. But they're also, like, a good deal better than Liberty. Um, maybe not, like, on defense, but just as a whole, like, Talent-wise, they're a lot better. And DeVito looked a lot better in this game than he did in the Liberty game. Um, I think part of that's probably being uh, more familiar with the the Dome, where we know DeVito thrives, you know, at least relative to being on the road in his short career. Um, but just things like stepping up into the pocket, like you mentioned, not doing that awful roll to the right uh, when you get flushed out by the blitz and then throwing the ball right to defenders. He, he did throw the ball right to defenders once, but it was in the pocket. Um and he did not get picked off in this game for the first time, I believe, right? I don't think he had an interception. Um, no, there was, yeah, no picks in this game, which was nice to see. He should have had one. He threw one to triple coverage and it got dropped. Triple coverage, that was, that, 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 that was perplexing. But, yeah, you, you, you know what? Dungy had at least three of those every game. Yeah, and that's college football. Like, you, they're, they're bad balls. Um, that, you know, not to excuse that throw, but it wasn't the same, like, rolling all the way to the sideline, having no room uh, uh, with one wide receiver there and then throwing it to a defender, which he made every single game before this, which we noted, you know, pretty definitively last week. Um, so I do think, like, just in one week, whatever the coaches identified and saw as, like, those issues that we could all see as fans, um, it seemed like they they made big strides in trying to get rid of those bad tendencies. Um and then he just threw like I mean the, there there were a couple of deep balls where he it just looked like the Devita that we saw flashes from last year, uh, and for the first time I really thought the offense looked like it kind of knew its identity, and that was really uh, you know we we said going into the year like oh this is going to be much more of like Baber's offense because Devito fits it better. Um, I do think we maybe we undersold the you know how you ha- you don't just fall back into that and like we were really running this dungy based offense for three seasons and you kind of fall into like 
build, you know, building around his strengths. Um, it might have taken the coaching staff a little bit of time to adjust as well. Uh, and I guess that's, you know, naturally it's hard to just kind of snap in and snap out. So um, it, it was uh, a bit positive there defensively. Um, still some glaring concerns that the middle, the second and third quarter just did not go well, especially the third. It was very eerily, eerily reminiscent of last year's Western Michigan game. But I also, you know, we were without Sisto. We were without, uh, 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 yes, Malafonwu, whose name was just completely blanking on. Um, I almost called him his brother, uh, like who arguably are two are maybe our two best defensive bats. I think Sisto is obviously in that discussion. Then, you know, there's a couple different guys you could probably put in the number two spot, but, um, and then obviously without McKinley Williams, once again, uh, who I think will make a huge difference on those inside runs that we've been hurt by. Um, overall, like they made huge plays and they needed to those three straight fourth downs in the fourth quarter were giant. Um, and that's kind of what we saw from this defense last year. They, they give up some points. They do up some big, some big plays, but they were really good about getting off the field, whether it was turnovers or third or fourth down uh, defense. And that was what we saw uh, on Saturday. So that was, I thought there were, there were good things and bad things, but I also want to grade on a curve without, you know, two really important starters, three, actually, three really important starters not being there. I mean, on, on the other hand, like just, just to, to throw a bone to the haters, um, Dwayne Eskridge was out as of the like third play of the game. And you also had well, their offensive play for Western Michigan of the game. And then uh, Levante Bellamy was out, I think it was a late third quarter. Was it early fourth where, where, where he was officially out? I think it was like, I think it was that last drive. Uh, I, I think they stopped storing when Bellamy went out. And I think yeah. those two are really, I, I would not be surprised to see either of them playing in the NFL. I think they're both like power five talents. Honestly, we saw it last year. We saw it in this year. Estridge playing both ways is nuts. Um, so yeah, you don't want to discount that. Uh, their two best, arguably their two best players went out um, at cheap, uh, cheap moments after, you know, they look really, really good to start. Um, but, you know, again, I'm not going to, it's, it's hard to kind of say how things play out. Like last year we saw basically the same fourth quarter, um, obviously with some differences based on the quarterback switch. But um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing to say that we wouldn't have made kind of some kind of similar stops, but you, you don't want to just completely discount the effect that it had. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, at the end of the day, like it's football. I mean, we, we, we've seen this all year where like last year we had really nice injury luck, uh, save a couple issues here and there. Dungy was healthy for almost the entire season, save like the, you know, most of the Notre Dame game. We've definitely played Gimpy a few other times. Like we kept the offensive line pretty much intact. Like there really weren't a lot of injuries last year. While this year um, we've already dealt with probably more than we did all of last season. And it happens. it happens to us. It happens to Western Michigan. It happens to everybody. Like, it, it, it's fun to play what if, um, but if you start getting angry about it, it's like I, I saw a bunch of people, and this is not to like call out anyone specifically. Like, a lot of people just saying like, oh, if like Bellamy had been there, if Eskridge had been in, like, like we got really lucky. Like, sure, yeah, but they got really lucky that you know, again, two of our best defensive backs were out, and that McKinley Williams was out, and that our offensive lines have banged up all season. Like against Clemson, there were plenty of what ifs that we could play, and we did you know last week like i'm not gonna it, it's just not worth rehashing over and over again like everybody deals with injuries and, and and how you can deal with them is usually a definition of how you know deep your program is and how well recruited you are and syracuse obviously as we pointed out before this season like they have more talent than they did a few years ago but they're still not all the way quote unquote back and they're still not there yet but they're making progress and you're starting to see like this is what happens when you don't necessarily have, you know, an entire team of like high level, like power five players, or at least high level, um, like, you know, seven, eight, nine win team power five players, like 
there's plenty. And it's not to knock the guys that, that are getting playing time. I just think that they just need more time to develop. Um, you're seeing some of the younger guys already contribute a lot. Like Elephant was in the younger end. Cisco obviously is on the younger end. Um, Michael Jones, uh, or Mikel Jones, whichever we decided it was, um, he played plenty when they were playing a four, three, um, to stop the run a little bit better, um, on Saturday and he looked really good. So I, I think we're seeing, you know, I think we're going to, it's going to take a little bit of time to see some of the, the, the like depth start to come to fruition. And, and, and again, it, it's the, that's the line between, you know, when, when you're a program that is, um, built for success with talent versus one that's built for success with coaching. And right now, you know, we're built for success with coaching for sure. And we're kind of in that middle ground talent wise. Um, but the longer Dino's around and the more faith everyone has in him, um, the, the easier all that becomes. Yeah, I, I, I totally buy that. I think um, it's just like, you know, we entered the season have with pretty high expectations. And I think uh, we all probably had thought that this would be a little bit more kind of readily assembled out of the box, uh, which is not the case, but it doesn't mean that we won't, you know, improve during the year. Um, I think offensive line, where we, we continue to hold out hope uh, between, like, getting uh, Heckle back, hopefully, by the NC State game, um, and just seeing what we've seen in years past with the offensive line developing uh, as we go along here is possible. But um, at the same time, I think, you know, it's not unhealthy to try to recalibrate expectations, but I think, uh, as you mentioned before, the ACC has been so shaky across the board under Clemson uh, that there's really no reason to not think we could win any of the games. Like, obviously, I think Florida State, looks better than they did last year, but they still have um, some really like, they're just not good uh, in, in like late game. They, they, well, this weekend was probably their most definitive win over a Louisville team that looks better than we thought they would be, but they still like struggle to put them away. Um, uh, you know, and then every other team, you know, has either a glaring loss so far, or they just haven't looked good. Um, if not both like NC state that West Virginia, maybe West Virginia ends up being better than we, than we expected, but like, they are supposed to be in a pretty deep rebuild and they beat NC state handily BC lost to Kansas. Like you can't, you know, two of those are two teams on our schedule that lost to probably the two worst big 12 teams. So yeah, I'm not going to, not going to freak out about like what might end up being a seven to five season yet. Um, we could still win eight or nine games just on the strength of like the ACC below Clemson being really bad, or, you know, we might win six, but uh, that's still like, having back-to-back bowl seasons and uh, having 16 or 17 wins over the course of two years is something we haven't done in a long time. So, um, you know, I think we can, we can consistently, you know, recalibrate where we're, where we're at here and it doesn't make us like, you know, it doesn't mean that we are uh, admitting defeat or like embracing mediocrity as much as it is like, yeah, college football isn't so easy that you win 10 games one year and then the job is done and you're automatically a, second or third tier team like it's an ongoing process as we've seen so often as we've discussed so yeah just keep on moving upwards uh luckily I, I think this holy cross game comes at a nice time did that third win get halfway to bowl bowl eligibility and uh and then we move forward here yeah agreed and we'll talk a little bit more holy cross in the second half today uh i, I think you know I, I said this a little bit in the comments like syracuse fans self-included like kind of get tripped up on a lot of different things historically like you know, the, the fact that so much attention is paid to the team because of where it is, because of how the basketball teams performed for so long over such an extended period of time that there's an expectation of success. Same with men's lacrosse. Like the football team has had a history of success, but most of that isn't necessarily recent. There's there's also this desire to be back. And, 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 and you see it with other programs too. Like once you're, once you desperately want to be back, any sign of it, uh, you know, you'll pounce on it. It goes for anything that you really want in life. 
where the, the second you see a sign of something, um, you know, you, you interview for a job and, and you feel like the interview went really well, you'll grab at any part of that interview that, that tells you like, oh man, like I got this job I, or I'm really feeling good about it. Or if you put a off around a house or an apartment, same deal, you just have good vibes. Like th- this is the same thing. So I'm not going to. I'm not going to knock anybody for, for feeling super optimistic about things. I mean, I'm said I'm guilty of it too. Um, but as you said, like the ACC, uh, it has some entertaining issues with mediocrity right now. I think what we should do for the end of the first half of this anyway. Uh, Dan, give me your power ranking of the Atlantic division, because as much as the ACC Coastal is fun to laugh at, uh, we don't really have to deal with those teams that much. So I'd say let's just look at the Atlantic. Obviously, Clemson's number one. Um, how are you sorting teams out from there? Oh, give, give me give me like two seconds. I need to look at this. Uh, <laughs> this is this is a fun exercise. Here's uh, a challenge. Who's in the Atlantic? Um, Buffalo Bills, Temple Owls, <laughs> Maryland, <laughs> Liberty. Um, <laughs> oh man! All right, I have the teams in front of me. I'm all right. I I, I think number two is pretty easy. Uh, number two is Wake Forest. You know what? I think it might be Wake Forest, like when the season's over. Really, but I don't think they're overwhelming. Them. No, they're not overwhelmingly better than yeah, the, thing. Is the Wake defense. Forest sucks. Not, Wake Forest has not tripped over itself at any point yet. Um, they haven't played anybody. They it could be coming. They look like the most competent team outside of Clemson. Um, so, and they beat UNC, who UNC had some nice wins earlier in the year. Um, they blew out Rice. They beat a pretty decent Utah State team and they blew out Elon. So like I think they've done what they need to do. Um they're four and oh so I think they're pretty clearly number two for me. Uh number three oh what do I what do I do here? Um so now now we're just weighing like like Florida State I think is the most talented team below aside from Clemson. They've proven that that talent doesn't mean anything. I don't think losing to Boise or losing to Virginia is particularly egregious um, when you take the Florida State of it away, but um, but but coming a, a missed extra point from losing to ULM is not good. Beating Louisville might look decent by year's end. Um, I don't know if I want to put them three. Uh, I don't know who to put a three. I, I like the rest of these. <laughs> BC lost to Kansas. Well, BC's not not three. There's no way BC's that. three. NC State lost to West Virginia, which is not as egregious. Uh, we got the Maryland things bad for us. Louisville, uh, I think, has looked better than people expected, but like, I don't think they're three. Um, and they can't, they can't be below. They can't be ahead of FSU. Um, I don't know how to do this. Be b- below Wake Forest. I think my inclination is to put Florida State three. Um, I don't love it. And then, ugh, I'm kind of between us or NC State four. I'd go. Have, I'd go state four for now, if only yeah. because state hasn't gotten like completely blown off the field. No, I think there's a good chance Maryland's a lot better than West Virginia, but we don't right. know. Um, I'll do state four because they're three and one. Honestly, they just have the extra win, and that's not a scientific way of doing this, but that's fair. I will go us five because we did not lose to Kansas, uh, BC or Louisville. Honestly, I think Louisville's looked better. But B, BC hasn't looked bad aside from one game. The one game is just really, really glaring. Mm, BC didn't look great against Rutgers. Yeah, but Rutgers can do that. They can muddy you up. They beat Vatek, which who knows if that means anything. Ugh. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go with BC because there's more known than unknown there. 
I, I, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of ramp in either direction for Louisville. I think that's fair. They didn't totally blow out Western Kentucky, and Western Kentucky is in a pretty, you know, they they're coming off a really bad coaching tenure. Um, but like they haven't looked awful in any game. They look better than they should have been. Oh, uh, I think I don't know if anyone else heard that. I had the the autoplay video on ESPN. Lovely. Um, yeah, I think any honestly three through seven is just a mess. And you could kind of put them in whatever order you want. Uh, I'll 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 go with you and, and say I'll put BC ahead just based on the known factor. But um, I think BC might be ahead, but Louisville's been more impressive relative to expectations. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally fair. Honestly, I, I probably mimic your rankings. I, I think Florida State's a, a fine pick at three just because of the talent level. I think Wake Forest. We don't really know what we have on their hands, but like you said, we we also know that they haven't tripped over themselves the way. Uh, that everybody else here has at least once. So I, yeah, I, I'd probably go with, with with that order. That said, you know, SU at five, the difference between S, SU at five and FSU at three is pretty minimal. I'd say even Wake Forest at two. So that's just more to show like Syracuse fans, just how, just how much of a mess the division is right now and just how slim the margins are between the team right behind Clemson and the team at the very bottom. So we could fall anywhere in there. And even if we are fifth, that doesn't mean we're going any worse than six and six potentially. Uh, it's just the coastal now, like with Clemson though, and that's right. a, with Clemson's a big uh, a big qualifier. But like usually there was pretty distinct tiers in the Atlantic because Florida State was Florida State, and you know Louisville's had a pretty big talent edge a lot of the time, and they had Lamar Jackson. Now it's just the coastal if you just stuck Clemson at the top. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assessment because like the coastals had like dominant teams here and there, uh, Miami, Virginia Tech. Uh, that's really it. A couple Georgia Tech teams in there. Um, yeah, this isn't that on, on the other side. But I, uh, I don't know. I, I could see us. I, I could see us finishing second still. I, I think a lot of it just means that we win most of the toss-ups. But we'll see. I, I think that I think it's going to get interesting. I think the NC State game is probably going to tell us a decent amount. I think the Pitt game is going to. I think the Pitt and NC State game, like you and I said from the beginning of the season. Those two games are going to tell us a hell of a lot. And if we go 2-0, uh, this team's going to be just fine. If we go 1-1, depends on which one, depends on how. Uh, could really yield uh, still some pretty solid results. Go 0-2, um, batting down the hatches, because I don't know what happens from there. Yeah, literally anything, uh, once we get into conference play, is like anyone's guess. I, I don't know that we'll, you know, maybe we'll continue to look more confident in Holy Cross, and that'll mean something. I, I won't take any... We, I mean, unless we look bad, um, I'm not going to take a lot away from it. Uh, but beyond there, like it, it's it's going to be tough to really know where we're at until we get a couple of these Atlanta games under our belt. Besides the Clemson game, which ultimately, like, it would have been nice to have uh, come a little closer. But it's not one of those things where you're learning where you stand and it's the heart of the conference because I think most of the division is going to lose by about 30 points to them. So. Agreed, agreed. Uh, why don't we talk a little bit about beer at halftime? But first, a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Dan, what have you been drinking? Um, kind of a light week in terms of new stuff. I did have a couple of different McKellars. Uh, I had their Subway Mosaic, which uh, IPA, which I didn't love. It's fine. It's just like kind of a run the mill. Um, I had uh, some Blue Point uh, Toasted Amber, which is decent, and uh, I think I had their, uh, I actually had their Pinstripe Pills at uh, MLB Food Fest yesterday, which was solid. I had some Deuce Island, 
Uh, it had some shiner box, so a lot of like just kind of standard stuff, not a lot of uh, super interesting experimental stuff. But uh, you know, can't always have have one of those weeks. All good. Uh, on my end, I had some uh, Beechwood uh, Hop Sonata. They uh, they brewed it uh, for the uh, Long Beach Symphony Orchestra, which is a uh, it's a good thing to brew for, and it was very good beer. Uh, definitely enjoyed. I also had some McKellar this week. I had some Beer Geek Breakfast. Um, always an enjoyable uh, selection. Had some more STS pills I had in the fridge. Um, then I had some Alpine Duet and some uh, Deschutes Fresh Squeezed um, IPA yesterday. Um, also be up in Seattle for a few days this week. So probably has some more, uh, more atypical beverages um, on the docket once we, uh, once we land up there. Nice. Yeah, should be. Doing a little, uh, it'll be the Mariners game on Wednesday. So I get to watch the Astros probably score 10 runs on them and, and just sit through some, some, some non Dodgers and or Mets baseball, which is a rarity for me. Yes. At least the Mets have dragged, have, have dragged like a, they're like kind of like a, a, someone who's been shot in the leg in like a movie, but they're like still alive. So they're just kind of dragging their dead leg, like over to some kind of end point. Um, that's where the Mets are. They're not eliminated, but like, the chance of survival is, very, is like very very slim, so we're hoping. I, mean, we I saw they're down the Marlins by a lot right now, so I feel uh, like this is. Or did I they think, did they start coming back? I think it sits to four. Oh, Christ. Um, yeah, we're at the point where we basically can't afford any losses, uh, and even if we go like undefeated, we still need help. So that's not a great place to be in baseball, um, and especially like if you are a Mets fan at all, you know that facing the Florida Marlins, even if they are the Miami <laughs> Marlins, even if they are O and a hundred and you know, 40, it doesn't matter. They're going to beat you three out of four games at the end. Like it's just going to happen or two out of three or whatever. Um, you will not, you will not, if you need to beat the Marlins to make the playoffs, <laughs> nope. even if they're absolutely horrendous, the Marlins will beat you. It's just the rule. It's a, it's a, it's physics basically. Like it's an unimpeachable law. I mean, not that we wanted this to be an extended Mets talk, but um, I, I do recall the conversation we had at the beginning of the season. Um, this, this played out as expected, really, um, just in the most unique way possible. This is, this is the Mets. They are, they are a perennial 84-ish win team that sometimes wins 77 and sometimes wins 89. And even if they, are, if they do end up at 84, um, they'll find the most creative way possible to get there. They will then use that to ply you, the Stockholm Syndrome-laden fan, um, with, you know, the, the promise of next year. They will add one and only one player in the offseason that really we'll makes any market difference. Who will be 36 <laughs> years old and just so far past their prime. Or 29 and break his leg on the second day. Yeah, or, or something. Uh, or Jed Lowry, a, a literal ghost. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, yeah, any of those things, and then and then the following year, yeah, they'll they'll win somewhere between seventy seven and eighty nine games, uh, and they will in all likelihood miss the playoffs. But if they do make it, um, they will either go to the World Series or lose in the wild card game, and there is no there is no middle ground. Yeah, what, what's what's really perfect about this Met season, um, where we usually don't have uh, this time this level of just ineptitude in terms of team building, uh, is that they have a potential home run champion in Pete Alonso, who is at fifty right now, uh, unless he said another one while we've been talking, uh, is pro- very likely to win the home run crown. Uh, we have Jeff uh, Jeff McNeil, who is uh, very possibly going to come close to winning a batting title. They're both being paid about I think five hundred thousand dollars because they're both on their rookie deals, so they're making nothing. So that should give the Wilpons and the powers that be 
the ability to then use uh, that money they're not paying to two young star players and spread it around and build around on the margins. Uh, like doing. You know, they're actually like going to do instead, it. though. They're just in a pocket. They're gonna, they're gonna, no, no, they're not. What they're going to do is they're going to they're, they're going to package these two players for someone no. who cost eighteen million dollars a year. No, that they see they're too cheap for that. That'd be worse than what they will do. Um, they're too cheap for that. Um, but Alonzo's like you know selling jerseys, and he's already a superstar, and he does the right thing. So they'll keep him. They're through. They they see like David Wright two point with more power. So they're not keep him. Make Neil. They could easily do something stupid with. Um, like at least they resigned Dedram, who's very possibly going to win a second straight Cy Young. Uh, so that's good news. The problem is like what what most owners who want to win a World Series would say is like, oh my god, like in May when it's very clear that Alonso's unbelievable and McNeil's really, really awesome, um, is like, hey, let's actually build around these two guys who are costing us nothing and spend the money that we should be paying that kind of production elsewhere so that we have, like, a pretty unimpeachable roster or we add another arm or something. And instead, yeah, maybe fits this bullpen that's been an issue literally the entire season and has never looked good. Um, And instead, um, on top of this really stupid Diaz deal, deal, which admittedly, like, we didn't know how bad that would look until it started looking bad, like once the season started. But you know, probably sh- there were plenty of people that were against it to begin with, so it wasn't like some obvious thing that we did that didn't work out. Um, we could have done a lot of different directions uh, ahead of the trade deadline to be like, hey, we might be in this thing um, with the production that we're getting. Um, I know there was like an early slump that we didn't look like that, but then like it was we right after the All Star break we started playing well. Uh, most teams would like either sell or would buy knowing that, like, if this continues, like, we could get ourselves back in the wildcard race, which we did, and instead they just did none of those things. So we're just sitting here probably going to miss the wildcard by two games uh, and waste a season where we had, like, it's like the, in the NFL. It's like when you have a rookie quarterback who's already, like, a top 10 player of the position. Like, we've seen this with a number of teams now. Russell Wilson kind of started this off. You have a very good chance of winning the Super Bowl. Um, the Mets have the MLB version of that, and it's like they just did nothing. Um, I almost they will wish do that nothing this offseason. No, yeah, they'll sign another 37-year-old former Yankee who can't play anymore, who will have like a, a 1.0 war. Um, they'll pay him way too much money. And then they'll pay uh, a couple other like bad relievers some money, pretend they'll, they'll pretend like they'll be good all of a sudden. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll enter next season. We'll have a bad losing streak early. We'll count ourselves out, and then we'll claw back into, like, the 77 to 89 win range, probably in the lower end, uh, and that's where we'll be. So, can't wait. Yeah, the Mets are the Mets are performance art. Uh, they are they are the best performance artists, however, because they get people to sign on for, for, for performance after performance. The thing that people don't realize living in New York is when the Mets are good, or at least even, like, decent, there are so many more outward Mets fans like, you will see so much more Mets stuff than Yankees stuff. Even if the Yankees are just going along the way, um, obviously they're better this year than they've been. But, like, I still see I see a decent amount of Yankees stuff. When the Mets are good, every Mets fan wants you to know that, the, that they are Mets fans. Like, there are a lot of us out there. Um, but it's just, like, it, it just gets ripped away from us so quickly all the time, and it's very depressing. Um, but, like, in 2015, when we were going to the World Series, like, this, it felt very much like a Mets town. And uh, even, like, the Yankees are having an amazing season. Um, they're going to come close to winning the most games in baseball. And you just don't get that same energy because it's, like, the passion, I think, is, is in part uh, fueled by the ineptitude uh, where the Yankees just, like, don't have that. They don't have the, 
the like, oh yeah, we could we we mess this up really badly all the time. So we have to save her this moment where we're gonna like maybe make the playoffs. Yeah, I, uh, at this point, I I just I accept the Mets will have a season. They will play somewhere between 160 and 163 games in the regular season, uh, give or take, and they will probably rarely lose 100. They will also never win 100. And, and as long as we accept that fate, anything else that happens is just kind of uh, it's just kind of good, I guess. It's it's not good. The situation is never good when the best possible thing for your team is that the owners will sell them, and that's the case for a couple franchises in sports. And the Mets Most are mine, definitively actually. one of them. <laughs> and some teams, like the Dodgers, get sold and immediately become annual World Series contenders, even if they haven't won one. Like they're always in the mix. So that's all you can ask for. Um, the Mets are not are not that because the world upon selling the Mets would be admitting defeat, defeat and despite the fact that no one cares about them outside of their Mets ownership. Uh, so like they're just, they just lose their, like their national credibility at all. If they, if they sell the team, even if that would be the best possible thing for the team. So um, yeah, it's just going to be our waking nightmare for the rest of uh, the Wilpon family's lives. And they have, uh, they have some younger sons who will probably own the team and, you know, for the rest of my life. So can't, can't wait for all that. Oh yeah. No, I don't really know why I like sports, but <laughs> here we are. Here we are talking about uh, it for over an hour every week. Uh, pay, At pay least to Tulane beat Houston. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's that's the content we want. Tulane beat Houston Tulane beat- and and made De'Ara King realize he doesn't want to play for the rest of the year. <laughs> Props to him, first of all. And also, yes. Houston, like you, you, you picked the wrong guy, and and that was obvious when, given the way he ended his West Virginia tenure. I think like. I'm just going to be very frank about this. If you're a Houston fan listening, probably not. Probably none. Um, Derek King's not going to play there next year. I don't care what he said today. He's not sitting out to them play for Houston in 2020. He's either going to declare for the draft, but more likely he's going to transfer somewhere. He might be riding out Oklahoma to see if uh, they'll let hand, like hand Spencer Rattler the job. But if not, like he's going to transfer to another school. You, this doesn't make any other sense otherwise. So... Um, yeah, hopefully there's a lot of That would suck. He could. I mean, Blackman's, uh, what, a junior? Yeah, isn't there? Because there's like a staff connection. I thought I saw Bud tweeting about it earlier. Uh, I mean, that's possible. I think Derek Kidd's really good. I think in the right uh, in the right hands, he'd be, I mean, he's already a pretty dynamic player. I don't think he's like a super polished passer or anything, but um, there, are, there are plenty of schools where he could thrive at. The problem if you're Houston is like, you kind of built this, uh, like not quite power five, but you're in that like UCF group of like, you can kind of accomplish all your personal goals here. Uh, and seeing a player of King's caliber want to transfer out is not a great sign if you're Holderson or if you're like in the Houston kind of community. So uh, I would be concerned about more lingering issues um, because, and again, I, I just don't see a situation in which it makes sense for King to sit out this year and play there next year. I think what happened is that his dad leaked the news earlier that he was going to sit out and he was going to pull Telly Bryant, sit out and transfer. Um, and then hold, then King didn't want that out yet himself. Uh, talked Holgerson obviously didn't want that out mid season. They spoke. He probably, you know, decided like, I'll just be the good team player for the rest of the year, sit out. And then I'll transfer more like stand in a more standard fashion at the end of the year, because there was really no advantage to, doing like just to leaving now i guess unless you want to really get set at a new place but 
Um, either way, yeah, very strange situation. Uh, and the only reason we're talking about this is just Tulane to beat them last week. So uh, go wave, setting the trends in college football as always. Tulane is absolutely killing it. Tulane is three and one. Uh, that treacherous road that we spelled out for them to make a bowl game um, is still treacherous, but a little bit less so since they already picked up three wins at this juncture. I'm, uh, I'm pretty high on them. The fact that Houston is screwing this up hard, uh, they're one and three again. You hire Holgo, you kind of get a little bit of this right off the back is realistically, he never got West Virginia beyond anything that any previous West Virginia coach has gotten into. So don't really know why you thought that he was going to be able to, to get you past, you know, the rest of the American athletic conference with like half the budget that, uh, that West Virginia has available to them in the big 12. But yeah, it's cool. I'm, I'm sure things will be fine in Houston. I'm sure the Hogo is not going to get fired in the next 12 months. Maybe. I mean, he's, they've, no, they've invested too much. They're not going to fire him. Um, if you're too late, you sure? though, like... It's Houston. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unless, like, unless he, like, gets in a physical altercation with, like, uh, Fortita, I don't I don't imagine he'll go in 12 months. I just feel like that was too much of a coup. Like, you can't really give up on that that early. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a good sign for Houston. Even though, like, their early season hasn't been, like, a disaster. Like, Tulane's good. They played Oklahoma... Not tough, but like they, they put up some points in that game. Like this is, uh, I think this uh, they they played Wazoo tough. Like this was, you know, just a, a rough go to start the year. Um, I guess we'll see what they do the rest of the time. Excitedly, like Tulane's kind of in the catbird seat in the uh, the uh, American West, which if Bill Connolly ran the numbers and said the American West is right now stronger than the ACC Coastal so, so far this year, which checks out. Yeah, you just just sub all the teams. It's fine. I don't. I don't think we'll miss any of them. To be honest. No, I mean we. <laughs> tri- Vatek for Tulane. Who says no? Not me. That's for sure. I'll take. <laughs> I'll take Pitt for Tulane's a, a pretty fair trade. Anyway, I don't think. Uh, uh, yeah, one, one, Syrac- one Syracuse rival for another. I don't. I don't think UCF would be for that. No, probably not. Uh, <laughs> all right, a little bit more Syracuse before we leave today. Um, we're facing Holy Cross. They're a team. They're called the Crusaders. We haven't faced them since 1973. Uh, we've had some pretty boring games against them. We've won 23 out of 28 meetings. Um, and Holy Cross is 1-2 and two on the year so far with losses to Yale and Navy. They beat New Hampshire um, in Worcester. And for some reason, it was a neutral site game in Worcester. I don't know why. Um, I'm seeing Ring of Honor as a thing under the game. I don't know why. Again, um, there's a lot of road games for Holy Cross to start this season. Five of the first six are on the road. Um, they have Syracuse, then Bucknell, then Brown uh, before they head home for uh, for their next six. But yeah, definitely an odd uh, odd split that I don't really know if I'd sign up for, but Syracuse has basically signed up for something similar this year. So Dan, anybody we should be worried about on the Holy Cross side, or is this just whatever? Uh, I think it's mostly whatever. Um, I I think there's some like you know decent signs for them uh, in the passing game. They've uh, they've thrown for 565 yards through three games. They have uh, three guys who are all over 130 yards. They they spread the ball out relatively well. Um, rushing has been a major issue for them on both sides. Like they've uh, surrendered 917 yards. They've only gained 219 on the ground. Um, this should just, be fun. Uh, this is exactly the type of team we like to play. Yeah, uh, it wouldn't surprise me uh, 
it wouldn't uh, they've actually they haven't put an interception yet this year which is kind of surprising i think that'll change um but they can definitely throw the ball a little bit it's just not with a ton of efficiency and not a ton of production um they're only averaging 188 yards through the air uh so yeah offensively this team has been very challenged um they played navy to start the year navy has a good defense uh they played new hampshire who's usually pretty good um they won 13 to 10 against New Hampshire, and then they they lost pretty handily to Yale, who's also pretty solid. So I don't know the Holy Cross is like bad, bad, but offensively, like we really haven't seen anything from them yet, uh, and that includes you know a, a, a decent Navy team maybe, and then two like maybe decent FCS teams, but it's not like they've been playing like all these like Power Five you know stalwarts. So yeah, I, I think this is a game that we should win pretty handily. Um, I think you'll see the offense kind of take uh, take what they started to do last week um i think we'll probably uh score in the 50 to 60 point range uh, i don't see us diffing up very much i think we'll turn them over a couple times so yeah i think a pretty pretty big comfortable syracuse win i think uh i'll go 62 to 7 i was actually gonna say the exact same thing but i'll change it up and i'll <laughs> go with um... that's just bizarre yeah. That's very. We've just been doing this podcast for too long. I know. Hi, uh, mind. Uh, I'll go with sixty-four <laughs> to seven, just for the hell of it. My store is nicer. Um, Fair. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what the 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 line looks like uh, when that comes out. I feel like you've been able to you've been able to bet more FCS FBS teams. Obviously, the spread's really big, so it's always scary. But Has there been I, haven't a, just... I haven't seen a line. Are we getting a line on this one? I think usually they come up probably like Friday. No, I just feel like yeah, in, in college mean, football, I've seen more FCS FBS lines than I can remember. And like, I don't know who's betting those games. Like but... the legalized gambling stuff. Did yeah. You get every degenerate. I, I guess I support it. <laughs> I just um, don't want to be anywhere near a 30 point line game. No, it's just bad. It's a bad place to be. Like, uh, like even like I feel like every year Alabama is like around 500 because the lines are just so against the spread because the lines are just so big and no one knows what to do with them because really there's no difference between a 30 and a 50 point win like in in like honest like there's a reason why Bill C has started to uh, uh, devalue uh, the like end of game stuff and then like the blowout point stuff because like you can win by 38 or you can win by 60 usually it's just a matter of like how much of a, a asshole your coach wants to be that day um, so yeah. I don't know that it's wise to bet, but I am interested to see how much better than this team Vegas says, and hopefully we'll get a line on that just for intrigue. Agreed, agreed. Um, all right, that's it from us this week. Uh, thank you, as always, Dan, for joining. Yes, thank you for having me. Hopefully I will figure out why my computer keeps on turning out, but uh, hopefully no one will know through the uh, magic of radio. <laughs> Indeed, I will be editing as we uh, as soon as we wrap up here. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Spotify, on TuneIn, on Stitcher, wherever, and go Orange. Go Orange. <laughs>